Welcome to Metro Charities podcast series on equalities. I am Emma Jones, Head of Insight at Metro, which gives me the privilege of delving deeper into all the work we do and chatting to colleagues across the charity who deliver services in HIV support, mental health and well-being, youth work, sexual and reproductive health, and a range of community-based projects. In this series of interviews for Black History Month 2021, we will be reflecting on race equality and equity and what it means to us as a charity. Metro champions equality as part of our central mission. This concept and its practice is pivotal to the services we provide and supporting people who have protected characteristics recognised in the Equality Act legislation. In this podcast series, staff who are Black, Asian or from another ethnic minority group will discuss their personal heritage and identity and how it intersects with the work they do at Metro to promote equality and diversity. Please join us in reflecting on the progress and barriers to race equality and equity as we celebrate Black History Month. So, Natalie, <laughs> Natalie Wagstaff. Um, so I, I'm Emma Jones, I'm the Head of Insight at Metro Charity and thank you so much for agreeing to do an interview mm-hmm. in the sort of context of Black History Month, but hopefully just actually as a general way mm. of talking about these issues that we're all kind of engaged with in the charity. So just to kick things off, um, get a sense of, of who you are and your roots. <laughs> Could you tell us about where you grew up? Um, yeah, so I grew up in London. Um, I was born in Hackney. Um, I'm mixed heritage, so my mum's white British and my dad is Jamaican, but there's also um, lots of stories that I've been told about his heritage because his dad um there's a bit of a question mark about his heritage, uh, whether he was Native American or he had some Indian heritage as well. I'm not entirely sure. So um, that's what I know. Um, and yeah, I grew up in Hackney. Um, I've lived in London most of my life and then moved away to the West Country for some for a period of time and then came back about 10 years ago. So, yeah. So how was it growing up in Hackney? What was what was it like? To, what period are we talking about? So that was uh, I was born in eighty six. So yeah, late eighties, and I mean it was very diverse. I lived on a, a council estate in Hackney, and um, it felt like a really international community. I had friends, um, you know, upstairs, downstairs, across the estate that were from like Bangladesh, so from Nigeria. Um, from all sorts of places and so I was really fortunate because I got to really be part of that culture in a way. I used to go and um, hang out with one of my friends and we used to dance to like Hindi music videos that she had on VHS and then her mum would make food and I would you know try their food and she tried to teach me Hindi (laughs) Um, and then similarly I'd go to my Nigerian friend's house and um, you know that's the first time I had fufu and like meat stew and things like that so it was a really rich experience and going to primary school, again, very diverse. Um, so that was a real, um, posi- really positive experience. And I think from a young age, I've always had a sense that um, diversity was something that was very positive. And um, yeah, I felt very much part of the world there because everyone was so different. Um, yeah, it was just a really positive thing. Yeah. 
So you talked about the kind of um, mixing with lots of different people and experiencing their cultures. Yeah. How did that reflect back on your own identity? How, when were you sort of aware of um, your own mixed heritage and yeah. how that, that felt for you? It's quite interesting, actually, because it's something that I'm exploring. Um, it always felt as though I was able to kind of absorb myself into other cultures and understand them, but I felt a bit alienated from my own culture. Um, I My mum and my dad split up when I was very young, so I didn't spend a lot of time with my dad. I used to spend weekends with him, but fairly sporadically. Um, and my mum's family mostly lived, well, they lived in Bath, which is a very white middle-class city. So I was very aware of my race from quite a young age, but not until I left London. And we used to go on family holidays to Wales and... Uh, I think that was the first time I was actually aware of my race. Um, we went to a campsite and I think there was a family that had a small ch a child, similar age to me, and I really wanted to play with them. And mum was like, okay, go on, go and, go and say hello. And I did, and they said, like, you can't play with our daughter, go away, sort of thing. And that was the first experience that I was like, oh, what's, what's wrong with me? And I, I had a sense that there was something different about me. My mum didn't say to me, oh, it was because of your race, but it was clear, I think as I got older, I could see that that was what had gone on. Um, and then being around my grandparents who are white and um, you know, going to, for Christmas and some holidays to a city where there were very few people of colour, um, I was aware that I was very different. And also in my family as well, I was aware that you know, my skin tone was different. And at the time, my mum... Um, was basically a single parent, so I, I very much felt um, other, I suppose. Um, and I guess despite, you know, oodles of love from my family, there was always this sense that there, there was something different about me or not right or wrong or bad. Um, so I guess what happened was I was, I, I, I'm very curious about other people's cultures and other people's identities, but it's been actually a very difficult process for me to, um, I guess, figure out who I am. Um, and in the context of being in a, a, a very multicultural society, being mixed heritage has its own set of challenges. Um, when I was at secondary school the, in Hackney, the students there were predominantly black and Asian. And I always, felt as though I still didn't fit and I used to get told things that people used to say things to me like oh you're more white than you are black um so that was confusing for me because I felt like I didn't sit in either camp so I've always just been in this kind of like in-between space where I don't really belong anywhere um and I guess now I sort of feel as though like well I kind of belong everywhere <laughs> which is it's been a process to get to that point and I'm still you know, finding my edges in terms of like, well, what is my identity? Mm. And interestingly, my dad, um, who grew up in Jamaica, but then came to England when he was small, um, you know, he, he embraces his culture to a point, but he has, um, he's kind of turned away from it in lots of ways and, you know, lives in sort of Essex and, you know, he, he, uh, yeah, he's just kind of moved away from his culture as much as he can. And I think that's a reaction to his experience as a child and not having, you know, a very happy childhood in lots of ways. Um, 
so it's been an interesting thing for me because I've never really been immersed in black culture. It's not something that I've been part of. So it's not something I feel like I have a, I can hold as part of my identity, but I know it is. Um, and that's starting to change. Like my, my stepdad's black and his family are from St. Lucia. So a couple of years ago, we went over to St. Lucia. We went to, went to meet his family. And there was a real sense of like, oh, you know, this is part of me too. Um, and that was really affirming and quite, yeah, it was really moving actually. So that's a very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious. I have to say, I'm curious. Vested interest in being uh, living in Hackney myself, in your kind of experience of growing up there. Yeah. And I'm, I was interested in what you said about secondary school. I'm, I've got that sense of you know, experiencing racism, obviously as a young child, as you described yeah. in Wales. But as you sort of got older, can you can you tell us more about that experience of being in secondary yeah. school and sort of growing up I suppose and how how it was during that period because we're, we're talking about the sort of early 2000s yeah I think then yeah that's what, right. what was the kind of sense like of sort of did you feel like race equalities and like being as a sort of a young person I suppose in that oh, period I mean it wasn't necessarily to I mean race was there but it was more I mean my secondary school was great like in so far I mean it was quite a <laughs> um <sighs> A challenging school in that it was, you know, there was a lot of violence there. We had uh, police vans outside the back of the school most days because to prevent there being fights because it got so bad at one point they were blocking up Lower Clapton Road. <laughs> um, so it wasn't like an easy school to go to. There were lots of things that were challenging about it. But one, the one thing that I thought was really brilliant was that, was that the SLT there was so hell-bent on drumming into us as young women because it was an all-girls school young women that we shouldn't let the fact that we come from Hackney that you know a large percentage of people came from um, backgrounds where they didn't have a lot of money or you know they didn't you know um, challenging backgrounds that that shouldn't let them that shouldn't let you that stop you and you could do anything you wanted to do um, the world was your oyster and that you should just go for it and you know there were lots of initiatives like we went to Oxford and um, we then spent a week as well in University of Glamorgan, I think, um, to try and give us a sense of what it might be like to be in higher education and, you know, inspire us to do that. Uh, and it was also a technology college, so we had, like, brilliant facilities. And so there was a lot of, like, creativity and focus on championing, championing us and the, the demographic of students that came. And so I did have this sense that, you know, the world maybe has this view of where I come from and who I am and actually I've got to defy expectation um, which has been really helpful actually <laughs> um, so there, there definitely was that um, and on a sort of individual uh, on a personal level I guess there was a challenge around well where do I fit in all of this because I didn't feel able to kind of claim my black culture because the girls who were very immersed in their black culture you know, I felt very rejected by them. I was bullied by them. That was a really traumatic experience. So what I did was um, I tried to kind of delete that part of my heritage, I suppose, by increasing my proximity to whiteness, by um, being friends with the very few white people that were in the school. And that continued as I went to college and went to university. Um, and it was just a, a habit that got ingrained. There was a thing about safety um, that went on there. So it was a, a, a mix, a kind of interesting mixture of things. You know, on the one hand, feeling really empowered 
And on the other hand, feeling like, oh, I don't really know where I am and who I am and where I fit. And I don't seem to fit anywhere. Um, yeah. So um, thank you for sharing all of this. I know it's, it's very personal. Um, just thinking about your, your movement out of secondary school and you said you went on to college and university. Mm -hmm. So what, what sort of pathway did you discover um, and how did you develop your kind of studies and career path during that period? Yeah, so I um, was always really passionate about art. Um, I decided at college to do three creative subjects and no academic subjects. And my mum was very supportive of that because I just had a feeling in my bones it was like that's you know it's what I need to be doing <laughs> so I, d I decided to do fine art 3d design and fashion textiles at uni at college sorry um and I went to a college in Leighton again very diverse that was you know a really lovely experience as well to be around other people that were creative um who were from all sorts of backgrounds and bringing their you know their view of the world their heritage into their art and you know again a very rich experience um so I'd, I always just had the sense, oh, this is what I want to do. I don't know exactly how this is going to map out yet, but I want to kind of try some different things and see how I go. Uh, I did a foundation course um, and then went on to university uh, to study graphic communication at Bath Spa, which felt like a safe place to go because my grandparents were there. It was a city that I knew. I did get into the big London art schools, but I decided not to go. Um, for a range of reasons, I guess, interestingly, I felt like I didn't fit there somehow. Um, and yeah, so went to university. And then at the end of my university degree, I just put it all down. And it was, you know, the last year or so reflecting on, you know, what's happened after, you know, during the pandemic, after the murder of George Floyd, it definitely felt as though a veil had sort of been lifted and all these years where I'd been thinking there was something inherently wrong with me I, I realized actually it was racism I was experiencing I just didn't have a name for my experience because it wasn't this like overt um, you know hate crime kind of racism um, it was you know the subtle microaggressions it was the, the way in which society is um, the expectations on me as a as a person of colour, you know, all of that stuff that I'd absorbed. So in that process of seeing it, I realised that part of the reason I dropped all my creativity was because the experience of being at university was, um, yeah, it was very challenging. It was, I think I was one of two people of colour in the cohort of 200 students. And it was such a contrast from being at, you know, a college in Leighton where everyone was different. <laughs> and then, you know, to be in a minority there, I felt that quite deeply and did everything I could to try and assimilate. And, you know, but actually what happened is my creativity suffered because I was trying really hard to kind of fit in. And um, I did experience some like out overt racism there. And that was a really, really difficult time for me. So it's no, looking back on it, it's no surprise to me that at the end of it, I was like, I can't, if this is what being in the creative industry means, I can't, I can't do this. So I put that down and then I guess I floated around in Bristol for a, a couple of years doing various different things. I, I worked in, um, I was a visual merchandiser. I worked in um, like a vintage store and like some other bits and pieces. And then 
just felt like, okay, well, I can carry on living in Bristol and struggling and not earning very much money, or I can move home back in with my parents and just figure out what I want to do. So I did that. Um, did a couple of other jobs, worked in HR, worked, did, um, worked for a creative design agency, which was like a step closer, but then um, realised that what I wanted to do was teach. And that was something that had always been kind of running alongside um, doing something creative. So I, I did a PGCE um, and then became a primary school teacher, which was just a joy. It was amazing. I absolutely loved it. It just really suited me to be around children and just and teach them. Um, and I felt like I had a lot to offer there and it was a, a really amazing four years of doing that. But unfortunately, the pressures of the job um, started to have a really negative impact on my mental health. And I was a department lead uh, for computer, I was computing lead for the school. And so that was added pressure. And I, um, yeah, just decided that it was like time to move away from that because I could see that it wasn't sustainable. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, I quit my job as a teacher, um, not having anything to go to, but just knowing that it was the right thing. And I was having a conversation with a colleague who, someone that's a colleague now, um, at an event that was to do with Black Lives Matter. And it was a sort of personal thing, part of a Buddhist community, which is another big aspect of my life, actually. And I got chatting to them and they were like, oh, you know, it sounds like you've had a really good time teaching. And I was talking about the struggle of speaking to parents and them saying things to me like, can you tell my child off? They don't listen to me at home and they're perfect in school. Why is this? And feeling a sense of frustration that I couldn't help them really. I couldn't go into their home. I couldn't, you know, help them with their parenting. It was this kind of boundary that I couldn't really cross. Um, so I was having this conversation and, um, yeah, it was like, oh, there's a job. There's a job available, which is exactly that. So I went for it and got it. And that's how I started work at Metro. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, just as, as you're talking about this sort of period around the pandemic and you mentioned Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, did you engage with the Black Lives Matter movement? How, how was how was that experience for you when that kind of opened oh, up? That was that was hard. Emotionally, it was very, very difficult um, because I said it was like this fade had been lifted and then it was like, oh, actually, it's not me that's the problem. The world is kind of upside down. You know, there is this broader experience of racism. What does that mean for me? Like, how do I navigate that space? What, you know, and it was emotionally very difficult. So the way that I didn't engage directly with Black Lives Matter, I did more things that were connected to the Buddhist community that I'm part of, um, supporting meditation events. And um, I also joined uh, a black women's therapy group to kind of have a bit of a space to unpack what was going on for me. Um, so that was how I responded. I found what I had to do was uh, remove myself or, or like limit the amount of input I was getting from the media because it was just so exhausting and triggering to be you know it was in it was everywhere there was no escape from it and it was the main conversation that people were having for a really long time and I think what was hard about it was you know this realization that oh well, this is my lived experience my everyday experience and suddenly the world has got an interest in it and they want to know everything about it which is um yeah, tiring to talk about it's I mean I don't feel quite like that now um 
but I guess I didn't fully engage with it because I didn't have the emotional capacity, emotional capacity to it. And I didn't feel, I felt really angry about lots of things, but I wanted to process my anger in a different way. I didn't want to go out and protest and shout and scream. And um, I think I feel slightly differently about it now. Um, but at the time I just felt so raw. I had to kind of be very gentle with myself around that and not like make it worse, I suppose. So given that you, you said this is like the year anniversary from you starting in Metro, so yeah. know, um, winding back to September 2020 in the kind of aftermath of that the eruption of that movement. Mm. And the, what was it, what was your perception of coming into, obviously you were interested in the job, the particular job, but the mm. organisation Metro for you in terms of our um, approach to equality and diversity and what, what, what did you feel you came into in that sense? Uh, it, it was very, it felt very safe. I, I came in feeling very hopeful because, you know, as I sort of said, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those things have been important to me across my life. Um, and I've been involved with various different organisations um, throughout my life, that, you know, in, personally, but then to work for one felt really good it felt like a kind of integration of something in a way and it was really refreshing to be part of an organization where that was the baseline um, and to know that you know metro has a vested interest in working towards equality um, and equity that felt very good um, and i don't think i've had that kind of feeling before entering into a new workplace, the, you know, being a teacher, working for a design agency, you know, all of these other places, there was always a question in my mind when I started, like, how's this going to be? How will, you know, what will this feel like being a person of colour in it? Will I be in a minority? How am I going to navigate these spaces? But it didn't feel like that coming here because, um, first of all, starting online <laughs> made it feel different because, you know, I was in a new job from my spare room, <laughs> not coming into an office. So there was a kind of level of safety there already. Um, I think the fact that my manager is a woman of colour as well helped that. Um, but I think what really struck me was um, coming in and having, I, I, I can't remember if it was a whole staff meeting or whether it was just a meeting with SLT and the CEO saying, I am committed to uprooting racism. Um, this is what I'm committed to doing. It was like, wow, <laughs> I could be somewhere where that is just like normal conversation and it doesn't have to be like, how was this person going to receive it? It just felt so refreshing and affirming, really, um, that I was in the right place. Yeah. Very good to hear. <laughs> so in terms of your role at Metro and the work that you were uh, describing that you do in parenting support, mm. can can you explain more about that and how in terms of equality diversity how, how that space is as a uh, the people you engage with I suppose the communities and people you're engaging with yeah i think um yeah it's very it's interesting because in a sense it's quite subtle i think the fact that i am a person of color and I'm going into communities and helping helping families will have its effect. It means that when I come into contact with people that are also people of colour, there's a, a kind of synergy or there's a kind of um, 
a relaxation of something, particularly being somebody that's in a sort of therapeutic role. Um, there are less there are less people that are in that role that are people of colour. Um, so I'm aware that my identity has a positive impact in that respect. Um, and I guess it just by the nature of that, it, it challenges ideas about about what it means to be a coach, what it means to be somebody in that position. Um, and it also means that, you know, I have a sort of cultural sensitivity and awareness. So when I am meeting people, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, who are they? Where, you know, what's their story? What's their background? What's their heritage? Um, and in terms of like running groups as well, it's like looking at the people that are in the group and thinking, okay, what's the demographic here? What are the levels of privilege? What are the levels of advantage here? How do I need to hold this space so that it feels comfortable and safe for everyone to, you know, bring themselves in fully? Um, so that feels like a really important part of what I do is just, um, yeah, holding the space maybe in, in a, a quite um, actively thought about way, if that makes sense. So what does the programme actually sort of involve? Just to describe to us what, what the programme really delivers for, and where it is, if you could tell us, but where it's based and so it's all online at the moment so we're, we're working out how to transition that into in-person groups um, so the program is currently nine weeks and the first six weeks of it we're looking at sort of parenting concepts that are relevant to teenagers um, and then there's you know lots of time for reflecting on the parent the parents experience of being a teenager and being parented and looking at how that's impacting their parenting and then the last few sessions are just a more open space to discuss or refresh any kind of concepts. Um, and it's been very powerful seeing the impact that it's had and the positive um, effect that it's having on not only the parents, but also their teenagers and their relationship. Given the programme is in Greenwich, mm. can you tell us a little bit about um, what diversity you're seeing in those communities and, and who's who you're actually working with, what, what those demographics look like. Yeah, so um, so yeah, the online group is for, for pe like parents all over Greenwich are kind of joining us for that. Um, and again, we have like one, I also do one-to-one -one coaching with families. And um, interestingly, the majority of parents that are coming in are white and that we don't have very many people of color who are joining in the group program there are more people of color that are in the one-to-ones um and that's something maybe we need to kind of think about what you know are there some barriers there what you know what's that about um yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I'm not quite yeah, sure what else no, to no, say about that. That's, yeah. that's, that's great. Um, so in terms of you starting at, at Metro and having this sense of, of feeling like that baseline you described mm. um, of you know, equality and diversity and um, CEO's position on, on sort of prioritising the issues around racism, yeah. what are your hopes for Metro now sort of moving forward and, and what do you see as can, can be done and what needs to be done? Yeah, well, I mean, the Race Equality Action Plan is there, which is great, um, because, you know, there are active things that need to be done sort of at all levels of the organisation for that, for things to move forward. I think my main hope, like, that will happen, um, but I think my main hope is that there 
are spaces for individual people to examine, you know, what is going on for me around race. Um, everyone, not just people of colour, you know, everybody that's in the organisation. Because I think, personally, there are different levels that, you know, this work happens and that transformation happens. And I always feel like it starts on a personal level first, because if you're not open to trying on people's different ways of thinking or hearing people's experiences and then going, oh, yeah, how does that feel for me? And, you know, where have I experienced something similar or, oh, no, I don't have that experience at all. It's quite hard to be behind making other things happen. Um, and I feel like the real work is around examining, you know, our unconscious biases, really digging deep on a personal level about that, think, reflecting on our experiences and then from that place like, okay, well, where, where are there, like, looking at where the, the, the dots join up to find connection rather than like, you know, further polarising. Um, I think sometimes the danger with this work is that it can be, it can end up feeling a bit mechanical. And I think the heart really needs to get involved with this stuff. And sometimes it is uncomfortable. Um, and I think we have to be willing individually and as an organisation to sit with that discomfort and, you know, look at the skeletons in the closet, look at the ways in, you know, listen deeply to each other. Um, so my hope is that there can be spaces for that work to take place. Um, and I, I really feel quite strongly that if that happens, everything else will happen much more easily. Um, and the Race Equality Action Plan won't um, just get done because it needs to get done. You know, it'll be, there'll be like a real heart motivation from everyone in the organisation. Wonderful to hear optimism. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really curious, just thinking, because we're, we're obviously talking about um, Black History Month here as well, and this kind of um, yeah. hope, what we hope that, that some of this will be a uh, feature in our Black History Month celebrations and kind of uh, engagement, I suppose. What does Black History Month mean for you? Um, what, what do you feel is important about it? I mean, I, I feel like every month is Black History Month. So I have a bit of a like, ugh. <laughs> reaction about it but what I recognize is that um, it is an opportunity um, and I think uh, previously I haven't really paid much attention to it because it feels like oh it's just this one month of the year where we talk about black history and my experience of that growing up has always been oh let's talk about slavery let's talk about all the people that have like overcome hardship and you know pushed through rather than just celebrating black excellence celebrating the people that um you know haven't necessarily gone through hardship you know just a celebration of black culture and and so i'm redefining what that means i'm exploring and that's part of the reason i wanted to do this interview was to step more into okay yes i'm a person of color yes i have black heritage and um i see it having meaning because i need to engage in it um, in order for it to have more meaning, if that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one, really, and I think it will change over time. I think it will change over time because I think there is more awareness of, like, oh, yeah, it's not just a month. It can be the whole year. It should be the whole year as well. So I'm going to ask you one history question and then a final question. So sure. we're in the last two questions. Um, <laughs> 1986. You mentioned you were born. Yeah. Um, where do you feel 
I mean, obviously, I'm sure I think have a sense of that period yourself through your own education and uh, culture. And do you feel society has moved on, and you're also from your background in Hackney, mm. in terms of these issues of of race equality mm. and race equity? I do. Yeah, I really do. I think you know, there's still work to do. There'll always be work to do. It's a process, isn't it? But I do see. I mean, especially kind of thinking about younger generations, like it's just they just chat about it like it's not, you know, a thing. Whereas when I was at school, it wasn't talked about. Race, diversity, that didn't come into the curriculum at all. We were never taught, that was never talked about. Um, even in secondary school, the only time race was really brought up as a thing was when we were talking about slavery. So it it's quite surprising, it's, it's refreshing because, you know, having worked in a school, and knowing that we do talk about it um, and that difference is talked about, not just, you know, race, but also gender, also sexuality, all of those things are brought in at, and at quite a young age, you know, year four when children are eight or nine, means they've got this vocabulary, which, which I didn't have when I was younger. My mum and my family gave me that vocabulary because we're very open about that. They're very, you know... Um, so my family are very liberal. So those, you know, Christmases would be like hot debates talking about politics and religion and all of those kind of things. So I was never like afraid to have those conversations, but I'm aware that not everybody had that experience. So I feel really hopeful because I, I see the changes that are happening and it's not perfect, that's true. But I think social media also has like a massive part to play in it because people are using their voices more. They've got platforms to talk about their experiences. And so it, that means that there's this connection and sense of, um, you know, people not being alone in their experiences, which is fantastic, I think. And that's one of the amazing things about social media is that there is that opportunity for multiple voices to be heard. Um, I think for the future, it's only going to get better because last year, I think, you know, I talked a couple of times about this veil being lifted. I think that's happened for everybody. And there are things that many people can't unsee now so it's like okay well I can't go backwards so what do I do with this new information and it will just have its effect um, one way or another so yeah I'm feeling really hopeful about what's to come it's not going to be easy but <laughs> maybe it doesn't need to be quite so hard <laughs> and we've got a final surprise question okay. for you <laughs> so if you had to um, sum up in, in one or two words what um, race equality means for you? Wow, that's a hard question. Um, oh. It's <laughs> really, really, that's a really tricky question. I think the first word that comes to mind is kindness. Um, Yeah, kindness and generosity. I think the, the reason that I choose those two words is because with all of this stuff, like, we just need to be a bit generous with our thinking about things, like, you know, expand ourselves a bit and go, oh, can I be less tight around this idea? Can I create a little bit more space in my mind to think, oh, there's another experience and to bring kindness to that and recognise that it's not easy sometimes and that, oh, you know, that might, make you feel uncomfortable but you know yeah I think so kindness and generosity feel like they fit because in any situation those two things apply particularly around this work wonderful thank you <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Metro's podcast on equalities. Please join us to continue the conversation online by following us at Metro Charity on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast series on your preferred app. And to find out more about our services, please visit our website, metrocharity.org.uk. Thank you.